We love movies about foster care, and today we are talking about one. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I'm with Nicole today. Hello there, Nicole. Hi. Summer is upon us, is it not? It is, it is. So the kids are out of school for the summer. How has that been for you? So far, it's kind of been great. But we kind of kicked off the summer with reservations at Chef Mickey's at Disney's Contemporary Resort. I took four of my kids and my nephew, and we spent the day at Contemporary, and then we rode the monorail over to one of the other hotels and shopped and took pictures, and it was super fun. Yeah, I saw the pictures. Your kids were, like, super psyched. It looked really cute. And today was their first day at summer camp. Wait, are they at farm camp? No, they're not at farm camp. I completely forgot to sign up for farm camp. I signed my kids up, but as you know, my summer has uh, started off a little awry. So we we are doing it, but we're going to go to another session. So maybe you should sign up for the next session. Maybe I will. I have my four-year-old who is going to be five in two days, which I can't even believe it. He is at a more traditional summer camp. He is so excited because he was one of the very few uh, that were moved up to be in summer camp with the big kids so he gets to go on field trips which is like the greatest thing in the world to him yeah it looks like your kids are already having a fun summer my summer has not started off quite as positively since I came down with COVID was it like a month ago so I got COVID and my COVID lasted like longer than I expected and made me sicker than I expected but then the worst part about it was one by one watching my kids fall with COVID and So not just dealing with the contagiousness of it and having to quarantine my household, but also a few of them were fairly sick and had some high fevers. And fortunately, at this point, either only got one or two more COVIDs in my house right now. But um, I think I think we're pretty much negative. I'm really happy about that. I can't wait to start living life again. Did Jack Daddy get COVID too? Jack Daddy is the only one other than my four-year-old. They are the only ones that made it out without COVID this time. Even the infant got COVID. I'm not sure if I told you, but the test I just got back today and oh. my, my five-month-old um, was positive on Thursday to high fever oh and um, a little bit of coughing. It, you know, it's always scary when it's a little one. So That's so terrifying. And the sucky part was that a lot of my kids had to miss their last week of school. And, um, you know, there's so much fun stuff that's done then. 
they were really bummed. Um, right. And also like, you know, we're doing this whole Disney thing, keep trying to schedule to go. And then they, you know, the next kids get sick. So it's, it's just been really challenging because there's so much fun. I want them to have, you know, mostly we're, we're going to make use of our Disney passes and our zoo passes and probably try and get out to the beach a couple days here and there, just kind of doing that kind of stuff. We love, I love hiking. I love making the kids hike with me even when they don't want to. So we're probably going to find trails <laughs> to hike. I'm really excited about a lot of that stuff, but I'm mostly excited that we're all finally going to be healthy soon. And I don't know if I told you, but we made, re- I made reservations for um, Animal Kingdom with, uh, with three of them and my nephew. And then I scored uh, reservations at the Tusker house and it's like a character dining Oh, wow. You know, one of the things that we do a lot in my house is family movie night where like I just get a bunch of junk food and we all just pile in with our blankets. You know, we we're going to talk about instant family tonight. You know, when it first came out, I was hesitant to show my kids. Yeah, I was worried it was going to trigger, especially the foster kids. But at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? I think it's relevant. I think it's funny, at least for the older kids. We let them watch it and they loved it. They really enjoyed seeing family that maybe didn't look necessarily like ours, but more like ours than what they normally see in the movies. I did not introduce them to that movie. I don't know if I walked in from being outside or something. And I had a a preteen placement that uh, was newly into care. She had turned that movie on for the younger kids. I kind of panicked (laughs) because it's a lot. I wasn't sure if they were going to understand. Also, I was worried that they were going to understand. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was a bit of a double-edged sword. But from that point on, these kids watched that movie every day for like two months. It connected them somehow in a positive way. Do they just related to it? They hadn't watched it in a while. And so I asked them to watch it with me the other day again. And it was really cool to see their reactions since they have grown in so many ways. And I found some of their insights pretty hilarious. You know, my kids love watching movies, but I think when they see families that in some way resemble us a little bit, they just get into it more like cheaper by the dozen. Obviously, we don't have a dozen kids, but we're not too far from that. And I think it makes them feel more normal because it's like we're not the only crazy people out here. They really connect with those movies and especially movies where there's different um, cultures and different races in a family. I think that makes them feel seen more. You know, we talk about representation and how important it is for people to see themselves, not just themselves and what they look like, but with their family looks like, what their world looks like. So the basic premise is a couple who kind of like, you know, remodels homes or flips houses. They had put off having children. Somebody kind of brings up the idea or thought of adoption. They kind of go on this journey of fostering to adopt. I found it when I watched, again, not to be unlike the journey that we've been on. They go through the the classes that they take, parenting classes, and it's just the story of the kids that end up getting placed in their homes. It's Hollywood. It's not like exact, right. but I cannot tell you about another movie that is about foster care or adoption that has seemed more realistic to me. Legitimately never felt so 
seen, never seen <laughs> something that was like, I literally lived this. You know, yeah. I've had those thoughts. I've said those things. I've had those fears. I've been through that type of situation. It's much more simple and put in a cute little box. And it's like this one sibling group. And that's the end of it, which is nothing like most of our stories. I can't think of a topic that it didn't address in some way, whether it was with this family or one of the ones in their class. Yeah, I also thought that it really it kind of touched on the, the different things, the parenting class, the support groups. Um, it touched on adoption events and placement events, which very much still happen. So the story follows Keaton and Ellie. They're the married couple who are flipping houses and kind of set in their career and they're, they're doing well for themselves. They go to these classes and they ultimately go to one of these adoption events. You know, I think they did a really good job of kind of separating the teens <laughs> from the rest of the kids. Pete couldn't stand it anymore, seeing the teens alone. So he walked over and that's when he met Lizzie. I wrote down two or three of my favorite quotes of the movie. Yes. And one of them is that line. Pete says something to Ellie along the lines of, they're acting like they're dipped in shit and nobody right. wants to talk to them and I'm going to go talk to them. Ellie says, but they are teenagers, okay? They use drugs and they masturbate and they watch people play video games on YouTube and we're not equipped for that. Could there be a more real accurate description in one sentence? No. <laughs> not only like what teens probably are doing, but also what people feel about teens and why they feel like they're not equipped. Right. Made me laugh so hard that I legit had to go back like a couple times and then I had to write it down. I like right after that, Lizzie says, we're right here. We can hear you. <laughs> right. you <know? laughs> so not only is this like encounter happening, he's feeling bad about it. She's feeling ill-equipped. And then the teenagers are hearing the whole <laughs> dynamic, which is so reality. Really. Yeah. So, you know, they meet with the social workers. There's two social workers that are kind of prevalent in the movie, Karen and Sharon, and they're hilarious. <laughs> Could there be better names for them, though? Like, it's funny to me that Karen is Karen and Sharon is Sharon, because Sharon should probably be the Karen. But maybe <laughs> this was before Karens were so, like, well-known. I think it's totally before that. Pete and Ellie are the foster parents, right? Yes. And then the, the teen that they meet is Lizzie. And then they find out later that Lizzie has two siblings, Lita, who's a younger sister of hers, and Juan, who is in the middle of them age-wise, and the boy. So you've got Pete and Ellie as the foster parents. Lizzie, Lita, and Juan are the kids in foster care. And then you've got Karen and Sharon. And I think those are like the main characters that we see. You know, there's a lot yeah. of other like October, we we oh freaking laugh every word <laughs> out of her mouth. But I think those are like the seven most vital people to consider in this movie. And the, I remember the night after we saw that in the movie for the first time, Karen and Sharon, their personalities reminded me so much of these two social workers that I worked with. Karen, who is Octavia Spencer, who did an incredible job. She plays the social worker who tells it to you real. Like, she'll be like, yeah, her mom's probably in jail, you know. And then, <laughs> and then the other one is like the politically correct one. And she's you like, see, yeah, we don't know that, you know. Let's see. Oh, 
well, yes, she's incarcerated. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the times you'll see people who put like a nice little bow on things, leave out information so that things look better than they are. And this woman is not that. She is like, they're going to crap on you. They're going to crap on your walls. They're going to do this. <laughs> like, you know, she gives it to you real, which I appreciate because then you have yeah. appropriate expectations. Sharon was much more politically correct, positive. I think something for me that stood out with meeting Lizzie and then talking to Karen and Sharon about that, it's the question posed to me is, that's great, you're interested. She's got siblings. Are you going to take them? And there's like a, a short kind of conversation that ensues. Okay, well, two, but three? We talked about one, not three, you know? Yeah. And I, <laughs> Which is exactly what it was with you. Yes. Right. I had like gone in there thinking one, then I was like, okay, two, because, you know, maybe a teenager and a younger sibling, because not only do teens not get put in traditional foster homes at the rate that younger ones do, but a teen with a younger sibling, like the chances are very slim. Oh yeah. Uh, that's not what happened at all, at all. There ended up being three. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, to go from like being a single person, but then to being a single mom of three, that's like a lot. And P and Nellie, like they're, at least they're, you know, they're married, they have each other. Even for them, it was like a lot. We start off with Pete and Ellie talking to Ellie's sister about getting a new house and they're trying to have kids, dealing with some infertility. And something is said, like a joke about Pete and Ellie not ever having kids. And that made Pete make a comment at some point along the lines of, I'm so old already. I don't want to be an old dad. Maybe we should just adopt a five-year-old, which is interesting because I think in our culture right now, it is so much more normalized than it ever has been in history for people to focus on their careers instead of families, instead of creating a family. I just don't think there was ever a time in history where so many men and women we're not even thinking about having kids until much later in life, which is probably right. why we hear so much more about infertility because everybody's 40 years old trying to have kids, right? Right. For like my parents, they were 22. Like I think that generation married younger, started a family younger. They said, you know, why don't we adopt a five-year-old? Lucas caught on to the look that Ellie gave to Pete. I think it's really cool that in this movie, they're giving that concept of like, okay, say you're 40 years old and you decide, wait, we do want to be parents. Like you don't have to have a newborn baby. Like you could be a foster parent, you can adopt. And these older kids who really need homes might be like just the age that would work out well into that not wanting to be an older dad situation. So I really like that they brought that up, especially because it wasn't just your classic, oh, we'll adopt a perfect little baby. You know, right. it's like, hey, let's adopt a five-year-old. That is such a thing that people are focusing on their careers. And then by the time they think about having kids, they're dealing with infertility issues. So I thought that was really cool. That thought of maybe we should adopt a five-year-old spurred something in Ellie's mind. And she went, I guess, to like an adoption agency website or something like that and was looking at pictures of kids, which brings up the concept of like heart galleries and the ethics of that and quote shopping for kids. It was similar to the heart gallery. Local heart galleries require the 
permission of the kids that are on the heart gallery. I didn't really look kind of too hard at it because I know at least locally, the kids have to give consent and permission. You know, a lot of times you see kids on the heart gallery that are siblings set and they're harder to adopt together and they really want them to be adopted together. You see teenagers on there and it gives people a good place to start to look at things and try to get some information. I know some people will probably look at that and say, well, like you're shopping for kids and things like that. And I, I'm sure there are people that do that. But also I think it's totally human and normal to be curious. The movie portrayed it really as kind of the first step in their journey. And it's probably the first step in a lot of people's journeys. Ellie kind of looks and then she tries to talk to Pete and Pete's like not interested. He's like not having it. She closes the computer and she walks away. You see the next scene where he's opened it back up and realizes what she's looking at. And he starts scrolling. That was like an odd, like an awkward moment, I think, for me watching with the kids. Because my eight-year-old said, wow, there's a lot of kids on there. And which is kind of sad. Especially because it's really such a small portion. I know. The next question was... Is that how you found us? No. I know. And like, they know their story. I'm incredibly open with them. They know that that's not what happened, but seeing something like that definitely like triggered something in her. Is that what you did? You know, I paused the movie and I told her that wasn't. And I retold kind of how it came with them. But I told her, you know, it does happen for other people. And I kind of quickly explained Heart Gallery. And like, because then I wonder, like, did she think like, People are shopping for kids, you know, yeah, like yeah. what is her perspective on it? As a kid, it's got to make you feel a little uncomfortable to see something like that. However, it gives people a glimpse. My experience going to Africa, when there are hungry, starving orphans on the side of the road, they're outside, they're in your face. You don't drive down the road here and see orphans starving on the side of the road. You don't have kids coming up to the car asking for food. So it's not in your face. So it's a lot easier for people to go about their day and not do anything about it. That doesn't mean that we don't have kids, maybe not necessarily starving for food, but maybe starving for food. It doesn't mean that we don't have kids that like have great needs that more of us need to do something about. It just means that America has a really nice way of pushing things behind doors and making it look like everything is perfect. Right. Right. So heart galleries are maybe one way for us to see there really are kids that need homes. Something like that can make an adoption happen to give a permanent home to a kid who doesn't have one otherwise. Then why wouldn't you do that? However, it just gives me a little uneasy feeling sometimes When you think about all the different types of people that might be scrolling through these pictures of these kids that really don't need to know their business, you know? Right. Our local heart galleries do a pretty good job of not putting really a lot of information. Yeah, there's some pictures. My sibling set of three were about to be put up on the heart gallery. And Cisco was on the heart gallery. Now, none of them is that how I came to them. What we're talking about here, even in this movie, isn't even really adoption. It's foster to adopt, which is a whole nother topic because we don't have foster to adopt in the state of Florida, probably because it's like counterintuitive. It's completely counterintuitive. Sharon brings it up in the movie that family preservation, but they bring that kind of up later on, even though 
they're talking about foster to adopt. What I have heard in the past is that foster to adopt when it's used is specifically for kids who have already had their rights terminated and you know legally are available for adoption, right? And you foster them until you're to a point in this movie, it's clear because the mom is still getting visits and has not been terminated yet. Their version of foster to adopt is fostering with the hope of adopting. But how do you do that when you're trying to maintain the primary goal of reunification or as they call it, family preservation? I think they were just trying to get like all of the concepts. All of it. Yeah, well, they and did. They got all the concepts. But I think that part was muddled a little bit. I found that to be a little odd and confusing. But again, Hollywood and trying right. to get all the concepts in. I'm not sure if it was Karen or Sharon, but it was when they were talking to Ellie and Pete about this sibling group and taking placement of them. One of them said about the mom, she hasn't contacted the kids in years or pursued reunification. And then she said she's pretty much a non-issue. When I heard that, I was like, ew, oh, ew. <laughs> ew. How can you ever like disregard a biological parent as a quote, non-issue. So I really didn't like the wording of that, but that is realistic that somebody might talk like that, but it, it definitely was like, oh, don't say that. A little cringeworthy. Definitely some cringing going on. So when they go to meet the kids, they are in their current placement. They are together, which is awesome and very unusual. They walk into this home that is probably some people's perception of what a foster home looks like. Oh my gosh. Totally. <laughs> like we don't have that image of us perpetuated. Enough. It was like a gross, dirty house. The foster parents were like mean and yelling. And when Karen and Sharon were describing the muskies to Ellie and Pete, they said something like, well, it's not like they abuse the kids but they might be a little inbred. It is probably the picture of what a lot of people see as foster parents. They even said something like they're in it for the money ticket or the money train. I'm like, yeah, what money train? You really do have to invest your own money in order to take care of these kids. There's certainly nothing left over after you provide for them with the stipends that we receive. So I definitely also cringed when they were like, oh yeah, they're in it for the the meal ticket or whatever. I think it was Lizzie that made a very distasteful joke that they were siblings. The Muskies were siblings yes. and not married. <laughs> yes. When Ellie was playing with Lita with her doll, Lita kept yelling at her doll and saying mean things. You've had these kids like I have. And the way they talk to somebody else, you're like, ooh, somebody talked to this girl like that. That's why she's saying, my kids are no saints. <laughs> and sometimes they say horrible things. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong that my kids would say something like that? But my kids aren't saying, shut up, you little beater. Don't embarrass me. It was like so reminiscent for me of so many foster kids that I've had where you can hear how parents have talked to them through their words to others. And I think in this case, it was making it more like the muskies talk to them that way. You know, I didn't think about it until you brought it up now. That's definitely happened in kids that have been in my home and even my kids. It's when they talk to someone like demeaning. They talk to someone like they're garbage. Right. And my kids might be mean to each other sometimes, but they don't talk to each other like they're garbage and disgusting. It's weird how you can kind of see history through the words that they speak to people. Right. 
when Pete and Ellie were first talking about whether they wanted to foster or not, I remember Pete said something like, foster parents are special. We're talking about the type of people that volunteer when it's not even a holiday. We don't even (laughs) volunteer on a holiday. And the concept of foster parents being like in some way superior to other people in their specialness or givingness, I think is like a common misconception. And you hear it a lot, right? But I think that- that's just like a barrier for people to actually do something. Cause in reality, we're no different than anybody else other than we've made the choice. But I did think that that was interesting where he's like, we're not special like that. Like that's not the type of people we are. That's Um, not us. When he was not on the same page with her, I appreciated that she was like, well, I'm not going to push you to do this if it's not something you're into. Really is something that so many couples come up against where one of them is into it and one of them is not. And I really appreciated that she stepped back from that, he came around. You've seen families like that, where one of the couples has clearly forced the other one to do it. Oh, for sure. And because one of them is completely disengaged and the other one is doing everything. And and angry and annoyed and frustrated. And the other one is frustrated because she's doing everything. Usually it's the she, let's be real. Want to find a way to ruin a marriage in 10 steps? Like become a foster parent when one of you doesn't want to. Like it really takes such teamwork to push forward without the other person in agreement is very self-sabotaging. As they talk about later in the classes, having especially kids who've experienced trauma who are in the foster care system will strain your relationship, will push your buttons. Parenting is the most triggering thing I have ever done in my life. Definitely thought it was cool that they talked about that in the class, but I just really liked that first class when everybody was introducing each other, you were hearing all the different reasons for people wanting to foster. And that's something we talked about in one of our very first episodes, why people become foster parents and good reasons and reasons that might end up with disappointing situations if you have the wrong expectations like october like october oh my gosh (laughs) october it it ended up all right but she totally wanted to be from the blind side (laughs) it ended up all right because she had personal growth through the experience right and realized i mean there, there had to be some self-actualization there as oh, sure. every class and support group she went to, everybody laughed at her because she wanted this like athletic African-American boy to adopt. Who is a Caucasian redhead. Yeah. You know, you might go into it thinking one thing or thinking that what's going to be best for your family is X. You get the phone call for Y. Right. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) like, okay, I can do this for the night or the weekend. And then there you have it. And And now they're yours forever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I like that they portrayed that kind of growth in a really fun character in October. (laughs) Well, and I love that like the one couple that was uh, dealing with infertility was like, we've been trying and haven't been successful. And then the gay couple was like, we've been trying since we got married too. Not yet. (laughs) So that was funny, but also like I appreciated like all the different reasons for, for people that come to the class, even October, who was a little crazy. Pete said something that definitely, Definitely is something we've even talked about on the podcast before is when people equate 
adopting kids to adopting dogs or adopting dogs to adopting kids. Pete made a joke about how like, you know, you guys need to get on like the rescue dog bandwagon. And maybe if you call them rescue kids, it'll become more (laughs) popular and trendy. And I thought it was funny that he brought that up because like, I'm telling you, this movie hits like every little topic. And for the record, I have fostered and adopted children and pets. Not the same. (laughs) Not the same. Not the same. Pete's whole tirade about maybe calling them rescue kids brings up the whole concept of terminology and the words that we use around the kids and the words that we use about foster care. I think that's an important thing, especially when you're dealing with like family and friends who maybe don't know the right words to use. I, I liked in the class how they did the, the string exercise where they cut the relationships that the kid who had just come into foster care had with everything in their world. And the only thing that was left was their siblings and, yeah. and to discuss the, the concept of sibling placement preservation. So one of the other things that I really, really liked about the movie, and I kind of wish we did this here because it's not really a thing, is the support group. They had like their parenting classes and then kind of each of them go on this journey. But throughout the movie, they're seen in a support group, sitting in a circle, you know, really talking about what's going on and what's happening and, you know, also poking fun at October um, to like the mood. <laughs> Oh, she storms out of like almost every group. This group is the opposite of support. I think. Yeah, I know. Right. It really was the opposite of supportive for her. But but she needed it. That's how she obtained the growth. But they really became kind of family. The grand scheme of this is Lizzie, Juan and Lita ultimately come into Pete and Ellie's home. There are a lot of trials and tribulations, um, but one of them is mom. Uh, who I believe was incarcerated, gets out and wants to see her kids. And she's talking to her oldest daughter, Lizzie. They start going on visitations with mom. And then mom starts working a case plan. So this hearing that they have scheduled, which is supposed to be about essentially terminating mom's rights, turns into a reunification or a family preservation hearing, the judge is kind of harsh on Pete and Ellie. When they're talking about taking the placement, they're talking about the mom and they said, mom is a product of the system. And basically she never learned how to parent because she didn't have one. And that's something we see all the time. And yeah, she's in jail. And and the rate of incarcerated former foster youth is so high because of the lack of support given, especially after they age out. Exactly. When they went to the Muskies to meet the kids, the sibling group, right? the reality of meeting them wasn't as magical as they thought it would be, (laughs) which is really true. Like, remember they went home and they were like, I thought it would be like fireworks and it would just be magical. And, and it wasn't. So maybe we shouldn't do this. And I have a couple kids that I have adopted where the minute I met them, I felt like our hearts were instantly enmeshed and I felt like I had always known them, but that's not always the case. And it doesn't mean that I don't love the freaking crap out of the kids that I didn't feel that way from the beginning. It was, it's just a different relationship and a different start to it. Yeah, I had both. I think in that case, it is on both ends where the relationship kind of grows. And I think you see that with Lizzie ultimately kind of grows into that relationship with them. But Juan is a little bit more connected 
pretty quickly. Oh, I freaking love one. And that's, that's something that I also wrote down because when you have foster kids come, sometimes they come and they meet you the first day and they're like, hi, mommy, like, where do I put my stuff? And then sometimes they're like, you either never hear a mom or it's like years down the road where that has changed. And even like right up to almost the end of the movie, Lizzie was like, you are not my parents. I have kids where it's like they've been in a lot of foster homes and whoever they're living with now, that's their mom. You know, one of my kids, because you've had them too, is like, yeah. if there's a woman and he's right. standing in front of them, like their mommy. Yeah. And one of the other things that is brought up quite a lot in the movie is the fact that Lizzie is parentified. Yes. Either Karen or Sharon had mentioned at some point, you know, there were months where their mom just was missing and Lizzie had to take care of Lita and Juan. That's something that we see all the time is kids coming in. They're being, they've been parentified because they've done the role of the parent in their parents' absence. And then when you try and parent the siblings, they get offended, which definitely happened with Lizzie. But that was one of the lines that I wrote down that I thought was so funny because Pete and Ellie were talking to Sharon and Karen and they're like, but she parents the kids before we can. And they're like, what are we supposed to do? Let her parent them. And I think Karen's probably the one that said, She's 15. She's a terrible parent. She needs to be a kid. You've got to step up and be the parents. And I thought that was so funny because it sometimes it's hard. Like, I don't want to step on your feet. These are your siblings. Right. You've known them since they were born. I met you a couple of weeks ago. So it, it's like a weird balance sometimes when a kid comes in with their siblings to your house and they've been parentified and you're like, you don't want to step on their toes and make them feel like, I'm the parent now. Like, it's not like a control thing, but at the same time, you need to let them be a kid. So you do have to like kind of gently take that role from them. Well, I thought it was one of the funniest scenes, I think, in the movie when (laughs) at the dinner table, try the dinner table, right? Yeah. Try to set these boundaries. We're the parent. And the topic was getting Lita to not eat potato chips. Which is so like legit something we've all lived through getting a kid to not eat something like to eat something other than like that one thing that is like their comfort item, which and then like there's a fire. It was so freaky. I was laughing my butt off. After that scene, my almost five-year-old was like, I am never having kids. Oh my gosh, that kid cracks me up. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked in the movie was when Grandma Sandy comes. Do you remember Grandma oh, Sandy? Yeah. She's the best. I love it. And but also, I think they do such a good job with showing the manipulation factor that happens. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, so yeah. good. Oh my, that was so funny. My favorite part of Grandma Sandy is she walks in and she gave like the best foster welcome ever because, you know, we all have family, like some of them get it. Some of them don't. Some of them are like a hundred percent in like, what can I do? And some of them are like, well, you made the decision to do that. So you got that, you know, but Grandma Sandy yeah, walks from in. all sides. Yes. <laughs> Grandma Sandy walks in and she says, you must be Lizzie. Come here. I'm your Grandma Sandy. Anybody ever start shit with any of you, they have to deal with me. We're family now. And I got your back forever. You hear me? I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. I love that also she was just like, right from the get-go, like you guys are being super uptight. 
here are passes to Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, they're not even adopted. They're like the no. foster siblings, but she's like taking ownership of them, which I think is so important right. that like your kids feel like your kids. I can't even tell you how many times I have used certain words with my kids to verbally assault with them with you are one of us, you are mine. Right. You know, whether you're here for another week or whether you're here for the rest of your life, you are mine and I am yours and I'll do, you know, the same for you that I do for my others. You're on equal footing here. Yes, I really try and use my words. And I love that Grandma Sandy, like verbally and physically assaulted her with love and acceptance and welcoming. So we all need a Grandma Sandy. Perfect. Yeah, for sure. I think it's perfect too, because one of the things I try to do is like figure out the kid's love language as quickly as possible. So I can communicate with them in a way that's effective. So I love that she kind of employed all the ways. Yes, yes. She gave them a gift, physical touch. There was verbalization, like all affirmations. Yeah, all encompassing. She was great. She's a great character. One of the things that I related to was that moment where the where Ellie and Pete are in bed and they're like, what the F did we do? We ruined our lives. Why would we do this? And then they're like trying to concoct a plan for how to get out of it. And you know <laughs> that like, they're not going to, but just like we can all definitely relate. Yeah, I have been there multiple times, except... <laughs> I'm consulting myself. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that I would do anything different. And it doesn't mean that I don't love my life and love my kids. But sometimes I'm like, what the crap? (laughs) Yeah. Some stuff like pops up and you're like, this is not what I signed up for. Right. Because you still have this picture of like what you signed up for. Yes. And you're like, this ain't it. This This ain't ain't it. That's so funny that you say that because you remember (laughs) when I think it was that moment where they were trying to set the boundary of no potato chips in the meal for Lita. But at the end of it, Lita um, was very upset and she was growling and holding a knife. Pete says, why is she growling? This wasn't in the class. I got nothing (laughs) for that. One of the things that I liked about the potato chip thing is kind of the way, like the creative way that they resolved it, right? Was eventually potato chips got crushed and sprinkled on the food that Lita was eating. And it's really kind of what we all do. We come up with creative solutions to these crazy problems you know these kids have had their whole lives turned upside down if a potato chip will make them happy let them have the potato chip until their life feels a little more stable and then weed it out but like it seemed a little like drastic to suddenly completely remove the potato chip right which i think was also kind of the point um of the whole like store scene with the barbie like lita's melting down again because she wants a barbie and they're like not giving it to her and then so pete like slinks away out of the store because (laughs) she's completely losing it it's like peace out i got the car so you wouldn't have to walk as far yeah i got the car and um he was like oh you gave in and she was like no and lizzie's like it was four dollars i got it for her (laughs) (laughs) she really um I guess drove the point home when it's like it was four dollars. Yeah. She's quiet. She's not losing her mind. Yeah. Versus trying to teach a lesson 
in a moment where a lesson can't be taught. Exactly. That's exactly like she wasn't in a place to receive that. Too, too dysregulated. It's like that whole, um, like the pyramid that um, Kat talks about all the time. Like you can't worry about this level when she's worried she's going to have food and shelter tonight. I love the hairbrush situation, especially because we had just talked about one of the ways of connecting, especially with the boys, is by doing their hair. Doing their hair is a way to connect. And so when um, she's struggling with the tangles and Ellie's like, do you want me to help? And brings the brush in. And and that that really, in the movie, from what I could tell, was the first moment that they really started to connect between Ellie and Lizzie because Ellie was like super set in her ways where she wasn't like yielding in the way that Pete was. But also Lizzie was similarly unyielding and much more untrusting of what they wanted from her, which goes to like where she asked, like, why did you even want to do this? You just woke up one day and decided, you know, you wanted to uh, be charitable or whatever. And, and that's addressed later in the court scene. Anyways, I thought that was really cool that they brought that up because it's such a common thing. But then also that the next day when she puts a brush in the toilet and, and ends up telling Ellie, my mom's the only one who ever did my hair so that that she probably felt the next day, like she betrayed her mom or like it reminded her of times with her mom. And, and, and gosh, this movie just covers everything, man. It's got all of it. It portrayed that trauma trigger in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. And when the, the couple who have struggled with infertility, uh, Ellie's sister, they pop up one day and they're like, we decided we're going to foster too. And I like that because a lot of the times people don't really consider that an option or have interest in doing it. But when they see somebody close to them, suddenly they're like, oh, you know what? We can do this too. Especially right. if you're struggling with infertility, like you want a house full of kids, like sign up for a foster class, man. <laughs> like nothing, <laughs> nothing fills your house up faster. And, and that might not be a permanent situation, but if you want to be a parent, like even temporarily, there are kids who need that. Yeah. There was one of the foster parents in the class. Their story was also that kind of infertility struggle. Yes. Um, and the child that ends up getting placed with them is like a struggle bus. Like, I think I've had that kid before. <laughs> like, it's like, what was it? Like, and they're like this like devout Christian couple, and they're like, right. he uses the Lord's name in vain and he cusses <laughs> at us. And then they're the one time they're like, Oh yeah, he's like threatening to like slit your throats while you're sleeping. They're like, but he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> Which and is also gross, he's right? like five. <laughs> I think one of the things, you know, there was kind of an interesting kind of during, I think it was during class uh, or that informational meeting, they bring a family in who had fostered and adopted ultimately an older, um, like a teen to yes. kind of introduce that concept. And then when Pete and Ellie later in the movie are at like this breaking point and they're like, we don't know what we're going to do. They just like show up at this couple's doorstep, <laughs> like throwing themselves at their mercy, like, please help me. Yeah. And um, they, you know, they kind of have this exchange and Ellie they get smacked. <laughs> Ellie gets smacked because she's just <laughs> on and on and on. Um, and you learn that the, the teen who is an adult, adult now in the movie um has struggled with addiction and is doing another stint in rehab that was also kind of like another aspect my daughter was like what's rehab 
you know, it made me realize like, even though I've used the words to tell her what has occurred with her biological family situation, she didn't really know what that meant or what it was. I mean, that is alive and well in many of our cases. And the exposure of drugs that they have due to their parents' choices. And also just like the, the vulnerability of kids who are in the system and experience trauma to drugs and sex and trafficking and all that, which goes to where Lizzie is in a sexting relationship with like an adult man, which turns into this comical thing, but also like that's very common, especially for kids to be seeking attention of these older people, especially older men for, for yeah. girls. And that's how they get sucked into trafficking. Yeah. yeah it I, made I me definitely... think of one of my preteen uh, placements when I saw that scene uh, because I found similar things um, on her phone. And also my daughter was like, what's a thong? <laughs> During that scene, and I was like, oh, Lord. So one of the other things I thought was kind of funny is the Sharpie on the face. So Sandy is like this great, wonderful, like boisterous grandma, like we talked about. And then Ellie's mom is a bit more reserved. She's watching the kids at some point and they walk in and they've totally colored all over her face and she's like it's okay it's washable and she's like that's a sharpie (laughs) and my daughter was like oh my god that's that's a permanent marker and I'm like you would know because you've done something very similar (laughs) to yourself and your clothes (laughs) oh my gosh that's talk about relatable yeah, it was super relatable. A lot of uh, this movie is relatable. And I think it will be to to anybody who's dipped a pinky toe in this world. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. One of the things that I thought was funny was that even though Ellie may have been the instigator and the first one to be like, let's do this. Like once Pete got bought in, like he was all in and even had an easier sense of connecting with the kids, which I think is funny because I see that a lot where like, it might be one half of the couple is like really the one who wants to do it. And then once they start doing it, the other person ends up like even more like committed and gung ho and like, you know, like really good at it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I I thought that was cool. I thought so too. I thought it was neat. Um, that he used such creative kind of ways to connect with the kids. Yeah. Like with the uh, demoing and, and yes. And, and every kid I think said called him dad before they called her mom. Yes. One of the things that I think makes this probably so realistic is it's based on a true story. Did you know that? You know, I did not know that until Lucas said, Hey, this is a true story. The writer and director who Like, it's not like this is his first gig. Like, he's made a lot of other movies that are very well known. Him and his wife, it was um, a very similar beginning where they talked about having kids and he made a joke like, well, let's adopt a five-year-old, you know, so I'm not an old dad. 
And then she went off and started doing some research and brought it to him. And that's how they got involved with it. So like, while it probably isn't like exactly like their story, I I thought some of the more interesting parts actually were the kids that they ended up adopting from foster care were younger. I think it was a six-year-old, a three-year-old, an 18-month-old, which Mm -hmm. probably is more like what you hear more commonly um, from other foster parents with the younger kids. People just are so scared of those teens who masturbate, do drugs, and watch people play video games on YouTube. Um, (laughs) Which is like the reason the movie is so accurate. Yeah. Because they either lived the experience or heard stories from it or had friends that maybe lived those experiences and were really able to depict such an accurate picture, even though it was probably, you know, it's it's a bit funnier than than real life when you're dealing yeah. with those situations. I mean, sometimes real life is pretty funny, but uh, one of the things that I read about him that he had wrote about the movie was he said the movie used humor to shed light on a topic that too often languishes in the dark. I had heard that it was based on a true story, but it, I just thought it was really cool that that it was the writer and director, that it was actually his story. So that is cool. very cool. Nicole, thank you so much for uh, joining me here late on this evening to uh, discuss this awesome movie that we hope other people get to enjoy if they haven't yet, uh, to talk about some of these topics that we all deal with on a pretty regular basis. I am so glad we talked about this movie. It was fun and it made me think about things that I hadn't thought about in a while, actually. So it was kind of nice down memory lane. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.